1: We all love movies, but the world of entertainment has been shifting over the years, and now our options are broader than ever before. We may be waiting for movie theaters to reopen, but in the interim, we've got Netflix, HBO Max, Amazon Prime, Disney+, Hulu, Apple TV+, CBS All Access, and more to keep us busy. We've got more incredible movies to be excited about and discuss than ever before, so let's dig in. Welcome to the Film Board. On this episode, we are talking about Fisher Number Five is Alive. Stevens' film Palmer, starring Justin Timberlake, Juno Temple, Alicia Wainwright, June Squibb, and introducing writer Allen. Now available on Apple TV Plus. I'm glad you're back. I'm just gonna take some time getting used to. You just gotta get yourself back out there. Palmer, you were all USA player two years in
0: a row at Riverside. Yes, sir. Changed
2: that boy. That's Sam. His mama took off.
1: He'll be staying with us till she's back.
0: You know, you're a boy, right? Yeah, in the hours that I've known Do you know when my mama's coming back? He's gonna have to go in the
2: system. There's something seriously wrong
0: with that kid. Would you send me free?
3: How did you end up in
0: prison? Don't matter. I did what I did. Bulk of what you did today. Listen to me, son. Kids are mean. Especially when they see something that they ain't used to seeing. You ain't nothing but a criminal. You got no right looking after any child. There's things in this world you can be and there's things that you can't. How many boys do you see on that show? None. What does that tell you?
3: That I can be the first. a Get oh, some treats.
0: Truth is, I haven't felt like I was good at anything. Just set me free until Sam.
1: Keep
0: Shelly came back. Hey! You couldn't stay out of trouble, could you? I can't abandon that boy. I will not abandon that boy. I heard y'all had a little tea party the other day. Mm,
2: yeah. Careful, Palmer. It's
3: hot. Pinkies, please.
0: Mmm. Yes. Mmm. Real good.
1: My name is Andy Nelson, host of The Next Reel, and today I'm chatting with two hosts from various Next Real properties to get their thoughts on this movie so we can share them with all of you. Mandy Kaplan! Andy! Hey, and Tommy Metz the third. It's me! I can't wait to talk about this movie with you, too. As we say on the next reel, when the movie ends, our conversation begins. So let's talk. Palmer, Uh, we all watched this as the final movie to talk about on the film board for January. What are your initial thoughts of this, Mandy?
2: It felt like a really well-done lifetime movie. Like a very (laughs) well-acted, well-paced, but predictable heart tugging heartstring tugging
1: movie i can see that yeah yeah, yeah. now now tommy uh this was your uh, we, we three talked about this trailer back in december when you picked this as your trailer oh that's
2: right it's, that's bashert guys nice work getting all the gang back together
1: <laughs> right. I know. How convenient is that? Tommy, you had this to say about it. I know for a fact, while I'm watching it, I will go, this is pretty cloying through tears. Like I will be actively crying while I'm saying this is manipulative and I don't necessarily care for all the things this movie is doing. <laughs>
2: <laughs> wow. I've that, never had anybody quote me back to me like that. That's that, impressive. I had forgotten that
3: I said that, but... <laughs> Yeah. To be honest, uh, what I went into this with my guard up for that, I had forgotten that I had said that, but um, I went in being like, all right, (laughs) let's see, (laughs) trying not to be a Grinch, but also just waiting to be it to be way melodramatic, way manipulative. And to be honest, I didn't really feel that way. With this, I thought it was surprisingly sensitively done, except for one big sequence that we can get into that I did not care for. Uh, I thought it was really honest and sensitively told, Um, and it had some really nice details. I thought it was really well acted. Maybe I don't see any Lifetime movies, so I don't know what that's (laughs) like, but this felt like a very, very conventional film that is life-affirming and exactly the kind of film that I kind of wanted right now. Oh, great. That's
1: fantastic to hear. I I think that I'm uh, in Mandy's camp on this. Uh, It definitely felt like a pretty um, straightforward lifetime type of movie. But that being said, I was really taken by like the honesty with some of the characters in the film. And I really enjoyed the way they're portrayed. But I guess leading into my next question, I I mean, on the surface, this does seem like a story we've all seen a million times before. A pretty standard drama of an ex-con trying to make good after he's been released. He's on parole and he's just trying to get his life on track. Do you feel like the story is more than that? Is the addition of having Sam as this young uh, kind of gender, non-binary child enough to really make this film stand out?
2: It didn't go far enough in that direction to really change the formula. That said, Mm -hmm. I loved Sam. I mean, this kid, this actor is fantastic. Uh, the character was so winning. I just loved him, but I don't think it changed it from the norm that we would expect. Like, of course, we're going to love this kid and this kid is helpless and so. But I loved him like a lot.
3: I wonder if if if, if this is what it takes to have that kind of story told yeah. involving non-binary or gender non-conforming things if you need a little bit of conventional sugar or not sugar, but if you need to be sort of brought in by the hand, then I'm fine with that. I'll take that. And it was enough for me. And there was enough honesty in, I thought Justin Timberlake's performance and these little details, like when he's in the, his grandmother, Oh, squibby Mm. June Squibbs' um, bathroom at her house. And he starts to take all of his toiletries out with him. And then remembers he doesn't have to, because he lives there. I'd never seen that before. And there was that and just little ways that Justin Timberlake really played understated for a lot of the movie, which felt elevated to me. And I thought that that really helped it shine through.
1: Well, and that's, I think an incredible strength of the film is having Justin Timberlake uh, as the lead, because I thought he was so on point with everything about this character. Like I felt all of the pain and the anger and the frustration of everything that he had gone through with all of the stuff, you know, having been a football star to uh, having, you know, been out for an injury and leading to this life, this kind of this criminal act that he ended up being put away for 12 years. And I just felt all of that in his presence. And I I really enjoyed the way he carried that character throughout the film. And it was really, I just, I, you know, he's an actor who I don't think of often as an actual like good actor. I guess it's just because of his musical career and because he just seems like uh, so often, I think I picture him as the character that he played in Dick
2: in a Box.
3: Mm hmm. Trolls World Tour. Was, no,
1: <laughs> that one, right. <laughs> Trolls World Tour in the social network. I just, I picture mm. like that. That is Justin Timberlake. But then I'm always reminded that he was in Alpha Dogs, that he was in, um, you know, Black Snake Moe. Black Snake That he did yeah. these films. And I'm like, God, there's, there is a really interesting character that he is able to kind of pull up
2: i thought he was fantastic i i have you know in my mind i was like well it could have been jake gyllenhaal it could have been ryan gosling it could have been any one of those guys and they all would have done a fine job but justin timberlake was really really good in this role and it just felt like a great match
3: Yeah. And he's so wildly charismatic that when he starts opening up, it happens during the kind of during the bowling montage is when that final switch happens and he's like high fiving and like this. He's immediately so captivating and you're like, I want to hang out with him all the time. So like to be able to cover all of that magnetism with a beard and stoicness really is harder, I think, than it seems.
1: He's one of those actors who I think can really be a, a great chameleon because you see him performing as a singer and it's just like, you know, the, all the sexy backstuck stuff. is like, you know, he's like this sexy, you know, singer who does like amazing performances and everything. But then I see him in this and I'm like, he's like, I buy him completely. I mean, even just like the physical look of him, I just feel like he is of this world. And it's, I think that's uh, a, an amazing feat to pull off where it's not just a movie star. It's like, he's actually an actor who's, inhabiting this character
2: when he was i know this is such a small detail but i liked it very much when he was he works as a janitor and he was like emptying the gutters he looked like a guy who does that every day he looked very (laughs) comfortable in that plebeian role and i had this flash of like justin timberlake has probably never cleaned a gutter or (laughs) done any menial work i mean he his whole life has been right. a star and had people to do all this for him. But he embodied that beautifully.
1: It's funny. I thought the exact same thing. But while he was cleaning the urinal, <laughs> I was like, has he ever <laughs> held a bottle of cleaning fluid in his life that he's had to spray on something? Right.
2: In terms of his character, I, I credit the the writer with really artfully leaking out his story. Mm-hmm. There would, It never felt exposition-y, which is such a pet peeve of mine when you're watching a movie and they're like, hey, you old dog, you're out of jail. What were you in for again? You know, and it's like scene one and he's like, I was in for this crime. But before that, I was a football star. We got his story piecemeal throughout the entire film in a way that felt very natural and organic. And I appreciated that.
3: And when we finally heard it, when he was on his date in the backyard it, it didn't have that kind of dump. Well, not dump. That was a gross thing to say, but he like ramped up to it and had like a number of sips because, and I was like leaning forward because I just had enough stuff. It was a neat way to do it, not just to space it out, but also by doing that, it, uh, developed tension Mm
1: -hmm.
3: for it, which would never be there if you were. Yeah. Like, that? what were you in for again? That's, yeah, that's for the producers that brought us.
1: Hey, there's my little sister. Right.
3: Oh,
2: yes.
1: <laughs> and that's, I mean, Cheryl Guerriero, I think maybe is how you say it, uh, wrote the script. And this is like her third uh, writing credit. And the other two are like things I've never heard of. Very low rated films. And then to see this come out, I'm like, this, I was really impressed with what she pulled out here. It, it just, I was, again, it's just that honesty that is in these characters. And obviously, a lot of that comes through because of the way that they're performed. But uh, like you were saying, it, I think it was a very smart way to kind of bring that story forward about his crime.
2: And not just his crime, but, he, you know, his relationship to the other guys that were involved yeah. and his backstory from college like his entire life came in very reasonable chunks throughout the movie and and i just i appreciated that
1: i was uh, that was pretty interesting like i was curious about his relationship with his buddies and it was interesting as we got to that final confrontation that he has with some of them in the bar after the (laughs) horrific you know what they did to sam it was just like unbelievable that adults were doing that but you know when you, it really kind of finds you, you start getting a sense that they're in they were in on the whole thing and especially his buddy who's the i don't know if he's the sheriff or the you know the deputy or whoever he is but his son um cole. the fact that he, yeah cole had been involved and pretty much got away with not having been in trouble and now is you know working for law enforcement and I was like, that's really mm-hmm. interesting the way that I thought those relationships were were painted. Yeah. The story of this ex-con, I mean, again, as I said earlier, it feels very, very standard. You know, he gets out, he immediately hooks up with one of the local uh, skanks, I guess, you know, the, but there's, I mean, there certainly is more to her story that we find. Um, but he kind of hooks up with her right away. Um, and then he ends up kind of having this relationship that is able to build. But let's talk about him and his relationships a little bit, because uh, the first one, this is where he hooks up with Juno Temple at the bar. She uh, just, I mean, immediately comes in and I, she's saying things to the barkeeper that I, my wife, this, this is, uh, I also want to talk about the, who this build is for. Cause we started watching this with our kids. Cause I'm like, this would be a good one to watch as a family. No, no. <laughs> and, then, and then Juno <laughs> Temple comes in and she has her line about <laughs> what she wants to have done. And my wife's like, maybe hey, we should stop this and maybe yeah, we should find something else to watch right now. Cause she, she's like, I know exactly what the next scene is going to be because of this moment with Juno temple. Yeah. Uh, right. <laughs> I didn't,
3: I didn't know that it was going to be that much of a next scene though.
1: <laughs> right.
3: So much of this movie does, when you guys are saying lifetime, a lot of it also felt, um, what do you say? Not religious, like a faith-based film. Like it could be one of those, but then with these crazy R-rated parts shoved <laughs> <Right> into there <laughs> because that sex scene was felt really jarring and did not match most of the rest of the movie. I get that they were showing the, he had been in prison for so long. And so it was just sort of like this huge release, but eesh. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It didn't, it didn't match for the, for Sam to be the age that Sam was. And this could be a movie where you could show to children or have family. No, you not. This one <laughs> could be is what I'm saying. Yeah. If you take out some of these elements, because this could be a helpful healing movie for certain right. people, but with Sam's age and then that R rated and the sex scenes and stuff is weird. Yeah. It's like having an R-rated Goonies. I don't know.
1: What? Hot. It, it really, it really threw me off, and I am glad. I'm glad that we did turn it off to uh, to switch to something else for a yeah. little while. Yeah. But and that's what's so frustrating because I was just like, and I, I don't know. I just really wanted this to be, you know, from the trailer and everything. It looked like oh, this will be a great movie to watch with the kids to kind of explore, you know, the other types of people that are out in the world. And I thought that would be great. And it really. Right. It is, but not because of those elements.
3: It's like right. a family
1: night and you're like,
3: what's this fatal attraction? <laughs> Let's give this a try.
1: <laughs> right. A requiem for a dream.
2: <laughs> Were any of us surprised when Squibbers kicked the bucket? I mean, the moment she appeared on screen, I was like, uh-oh. <laughs> She's not going to last past the first act.
3: Oh, see, I, I, and I'm not making a joke when I say I really might not be versed in Lifetime or these kind of dramas. I just don't watch a lot of them because I didn't see that coming. Oh, I thought it would be sort of a but but I mean, when it happened, I was like, oh, right. (laughs) Like, we can't just keep having her be like church again. But it didn't occur to me at the time because I thought it was also going to be part of his redemption would be through her eyes. Mm. Um, but no, it made sense nope. as soon as she as soon as yeah,
1: yeah, as soon as she goes.
2: <laughs> her eyes had little X's on them. <laughs> they did.: <laughs> um, No, it's like it's also a Disney trope that, you know, the kindly oh, yep. parent figure is going to kick the bucket, leaving the hero to find their way on their own. but right. And I love her, but I was like, "Oh, oh, squib, we're not going to have you for long. <laughs>
1: but uh, interestingly, and I, I d- this is something I didn't see when she kicked the bucket is that I didn't realize that it was going to end up creating like a ticking clock of some sort for the story because all of a sudden there's Uh this letter from the lawyer that, Hey, you know what? The house isn't yours. It's getting sold. And so you only have X amount of time to be in it. And I was like, Oh, okay. That actually ended up being an interesting element that kind of, I mean, Uh it it never really comes into play too much, but it is something that they have to be thinking about and kind of like figuring out how am I going to move forward? So I at least appreciated that it did move it into some direction other than Now he's just in the house by himself figuring things out. Right. Right. I I want to circle back to the relationships because I I kind of got on my own side tangent about who's this film for, really? But okay, so we have Juno Temple and they have this this one night thing that's going on, even though she's in this relationship with Mr. Mayhem, Mr. Mayhem. That's right. Which Mm -hmm. was great. Can we
3: talk about him for just one quick second? I want to derail you again. Yeah. Uh, No, please uh, do. Did this movie know that it had Dean Winters in it? Did it seem like the movie was trying to hide Dean Winters? It was all long shots. Right. Like it's Dean Winters. Yeah. He's like a big enough actor that you would want to be like, look, it's Dean Winters. It's almost like the movie is ashamed of him or he got in a fight with the director. Isn't that weird?
2: I felt like there was definitely a cut scene. Yeah. Something happened. One or two cut scenes that where we we would get to know him.
3: Right. He's and you only hear him from
1: afar. It's so weird. The only time you really get close to him is when he makes him fly. He, yeah, he kind of jumps into the place, into the middle of their brawl, and hurls, um, hurls uh, Dean across the room. Jerry is his character, right. and that's really the only time you get close. And and then even then, when you're close, it's like you're behind his head, or he's getting flung across the room, and it's really yeah. hard to pinpoint who he is. And I, he's one of those faces though. Like even from the long shots, I'm like, Oh, it's the, it's Mr. Mayhem guy. And, Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And then it just was strange. And I, so I was like, it had to be a director's choice to kind of keep it from afar. And I was trying to figure out if you're, if you're going to do that as a director and you're going to kind of keep this, you know, menacing other man in, in Sam's mom's life, Kind of painted that way, where it's just this dark figure, the one who's possibly keeps drawing her into the world of drugs. I mean, who knows exactly what their story is, but it, I mean, he's just always painted as this dark character. So why cast Dean Winters in the role? Why Dean Winters? Yeah,
2: it's my I have the theory that they're old friends, and Fisher was like, "I'm directing this, and mm. y- you know, would you come for a couple of days and do this part?" And Dean Winters was like, "For you, pal, anything." I was there when that conversation
1: happened.
2: (laughs) We were at Applebee's. It was a lovely time. Lovely
1: pre-COVID time.
2: Yeah. (laughs) That's my theory is that they're friends. But then wouldn't you
3: want to show his face more? Wouldn't you want him to turn around and be like, get
2: out of my trailer
3: and not just sort of be a faceless person who's thrown across a thing? I don't know.
1: Honestly, I can. I actually would buy into Mandy's version of the story more and then see Fisher Stevens saying, you know what? But this is how I'm going to shoot the character because. I, oh. I want him to be this way. Are you okay with me shooting you this way where you're just only seen as this distant menacing threat? And, and I mean I could see him kind of spinning that sure. to Dean more than, you know, just casting Dean as this actor and then Dean saying, "Hey, where where are my close-ups?" Right. Right. Yeah. Maybe he gets paid by
3: like FaceTime, <laughs> like how you can't give an extra <laughs> a line in a movie cuz then you have to pay them. <laughs> And so this he just he always has to be like just turning around and then they got him from the cheap. Okay, going back to Andy, what you were saying about relationships. Yeah, just
1: the relationships. Okay, so we've got Juno Temple as the first uh character that uh, enters Palmer's life and she ends up being the, you know, she's Sam's mom, she's a a drug addict always disappearing and because of those disappearances is why um Palmer ends up taking care of it. Technically it's it's Vivian uh Old Squibby who takes care of him first and then and then Palmer, but, uh, but Juno temple. Okay. So the relationship here is obviously purely just a one night stand thing. He just got out of jail. This is the first woman who really, he comes into contact with and, and they go to town. And, and then of course it ends up becoming a more complex relationship because of the whole thing with Sam and everything. But I, okay, so let's start there with that relationship. I mean, it's, it's, starts sexual but it ends up being a much more complex one how does it work and how is juno temple for you two
2: it's hard to separate her from her exquisite scene at the end i i just Mm. i'm i've always been a fan of hers and the beginning is very uncomfortable because she's so addled and such an addict but that's that scene with sam at the end is breathtaking is that what you were asking? No.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, just uh, just the whole thing. I mean, because obviously she's uh, and there's a big relationship that she has with Palmer because it's a very I don't think it's initially contentious. It's really not contentious until it's clear to her that Palmer is trying to get Sam right away from her because she's a, a bit of a mess. Right. But I mean, but I mean, do you do you buy into like the way that their relationship is portrayed it between the two of them?
3: Yeah. 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 Me too. Why, did you have a trouble with it?
1: it? Weirdly, and I don't know if this is a thing that I have with Juno Temple, where I, I see her in this role, and I I and I don't know if it's just because of something like Killer Joe, but I, I end up feeling like this is, like, I'm like, is she being typecast in this role? And I, I don't think she is, because she's in such a variety of films. And she was just in Ted Lasso.
2: Which I'm in the middle of, so I had a double Juno Temple day.
3: There's none of the... Uh, for lack of a better like trashy hmm. or anything she's very in control of herself and she's a very positive hero figure in Ted Lasso so
1: Oh that's great. That's great.
3: No because yeah if it would just if I had just seen her in Killer Joe which I deeply love I didn't and then it. this I'd be like uh-oh. Yeah because it would seem yeah <laughs> because they're very <laughs> connected.
1: Yeah, exactly. And that's and and maybe it's unfair of me to think of that but it's like I feel like and I know I see her in a lot of things but that like performance has been burned into my brain from that movie because it's just, it's such a powerful performance, everyone really in that movie. And so then to see her in this, I'm just like, I feel like she's, you know, doing the same thing, but, uh, okay. I'm thrilled that she's in Ted Lasso. I'm glad to hear that she's doing something else. And so that's great. Um, but I mean, to your point, Mandy, I do think that she is given some room to work with this character. And I, I think as a, as an actress, that's probably what drew her to this part because she gets to have, this really powerful emotional moment with her child.
2: Oh, If you get to have that scene, you'll do anything leading up to get to that. I just, that was, that scene was gut-wrenching and she was
1: perfect. It's a tough scene. I I, I can't imagine having to portray something like that. I can't imagine as a parent having to go through something like that, but it's, it's mm-hmm. a hard thing learning to, or being in that position where you can recognize that you need to let go. Mm-hmm. Do you both feel like it made sense for her character to come to that realization? Absolutely. Is that, okay. Because that was one thing that I was like, she was so adamant when she came to the court that I was, do I completely buy that she's going to make this decision? Or I, I felt I like she was so selfish.
3: Didn't. I kind of felt the running time mm. at that part. I was like, yeah, let me guess. This is around the two hour mark. is because it just seemed like off camera, she really came to or come to Jesus sort of moment, which we hadn't really no kind of lead up to at all. If there, I, in real life, I would have thought that it would have taken another takeoff, fall down, come back kind of thing, like another big failure, but that would have just dragged them. Like, I think this works. Yeah. I just don't, I don't really necessarily agree that it's, um, Perfectly realistic, but that's okay.
1: I think that speaks to why I struggled with it. it yeah, sure. is, is because it just it ended up feeling like so quick. Like we just saw her in court screaming at him about, you know, he, he's mine, all this sort of stuff. and then she kind of comes to this realization that she has to make the switch.
2: But she was high in court, and she seemed sober in the scene with Sam.
1: Well, that's definitely a possibility, too, yeah.
2: In the light of day, she knew the right thing to do. Yeah. There's nothing saying she wouldn't flip out that night and get angry again. And show up on the doorstep and say I changed my mind. She
1: keeps going back but, and forth.
3: That's for the sequel that nobody wants to see. Oh, that's
2: right. <laughs> Palmer two.
3: Palmer two colon on second thought. <laughs> that's a good point. That's a really good point.
2: That's indicative of a an addict's behavior, and why it's so tough. Because when when an addict is sober, they are their true selves, and they say the right thing and do the right thing, and they want so desperately to you know make good choices. So, it didn't bump for me.
1: Well, I'm I'm glad cuz I I feel like that was something I just felt was was moved a little too quickly through, but I'm glad that it works and I I think that it like Tommy said, it it needed to be there. I didn't have a problem with it being there. I actually really felt that scene was incredibly powerful. I just I wish that it had been moved a little more effectively for me to it, but still I'm glad that it's um that she does come to that and your point makes sense. So he ends up meeting while he's working at the school. He meets um, Alicia Wainwright's character, Maggie, who is a teacher here. I'm not going to get into my concerns about somebody with a a criminal record um, finding a way through the system to get a job at the uh, public elementary school. Um, But let's just talk about Maggie and her role as the teacher and the one who ends up kind of connecting with him and coming into his life to be kind of the one who um, he can really. Uh, find a relationship with how did maggie work for you too
3: i liked her once i got over the fact of the movie pretty quickly just starts throwing women at justin timberlake's character i mean he meets someone in the bar i get it and then she just sees him at the school and gives him a hey about hubba little look <laughs> and then she just sort of pursues him when he is not charismatic at all in the beginning, he's quiet. He's weird. She shows up. He's drinking a beer at what seems to be like ten a.m. or something like that.
2: But he is fresh meat, and she says this town is so small. And oh, well, I'm just offering. When someone new comes to town, it's like oh, someone I haven't
1: rejected yet.
3: That doesn't that, that doesn't make me feel
1: ooh, the janitor. <laughs>
3: Oh, the bearded, moody janitor, <laughs> dibs, please. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I liked her as an actress and I liked their relationship. I liked all of that stuff. It just took a little bit of a, it's a little bit of the feeling in a reverse that I got of what's her name before you explained very nicely about the addiction thing, Mandy, about Juno Temple turning on a dime that it just, you know, in order to have this mm-hmm. relationship she just needed to sort of be like, yep, the janitor's for me, but I liked the speed that their relationship took, meaning the length that it was really a slow and hanging out and stuff like that. Uh, I liked that a lot.
1: That uh, I think is why I ended up finding it quite effective, mm-hmm. even though it's like, why is she jumping with him so quickly? But yeah, I, I really just, this is something where, again, to that kind of the honest way that some of this stuff was portrayed, I felt like. I kind of bought that they were just kind of work acquaintances for a time and they both kind mm-hmm. of had this draw to Sam and wanted to make sure that Sam was uh, watched out for and taken care of and and not bullied and all that sort of stuff. And it, it slowly evolved into a relationship. And I was like, honestly, kind of surprised that they they ended up making it or having it kind of have a very natural evolution. And so to that end, I think it was uh, very effective the way that it was uh, done.
3: Yeah, talking about this being, again, I don't exactly know what I'm talking about, but going back to the writer, she? Yeah, Cheryl. Cheryl. She does, Mm -hmm. just like Mandy said, again, I mean, she handles very conventional situations in a nice way, still just within two hours. The movie didn't feel overlong to me. Uh, The Mm -hmm. movie felt right about on time, and yet it was just handled more elegantly, where I think a lot of these movies would be like, ram them together.
2: I also felt... The reason she went over there in the first place was justified by her just unabashed adoration for Sam. Yeah. And making, like, who, you know, I wanted to make sure Sam got home and who's this guy taking care of Sam and offer. I know she gave her phone number, but I bought her cover story a bit that she was saying, like, if you need help with Sam, yeah, I'm here. I love him. So... I'm a bleeding heart. It did feel like
3: a cover story to me.
2: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. definitely like the let me give me my (laughs) phone number felt more flirty than caring for a kid. But
1: but it works. So, I mean, I guess let's pivot to Sam and this relationship with this kid. And I mean, I was endlessly impressed with a writer, Alan, who plays him, who's just a third grader. I was just floored. I'm like, this kid is so young. But he is so effectively portraying the emotions that he needs to and just the honesty and just the way that he came across as this young boy who who saw I'm not sure all the right ways to word this properly. um, But, you know, he saw himself kind of more in the girl role and he would wear girl outfits and he watched this princess show that he loved so much and just that gender nonconformity that the show really or the movie really kind of took on very honestly and the way that characters like uh like vivian and maggie and even his mom really uh, just allowed it to be and i was just like wow that is so powerful that the that it started from that place it wasn't even like the story about this kid who was going through it and trying to like all of a sudden say hey i want to I I want to start wearing a princess dress for uh, Halloween. It's just like he was already that kid. Mm -hmm.
3: Oh, that's interesting. He was already fully formed. It's really, it's Palmer going into Sam's world, not the other way around. Yeah, that's an interesting point. And I liked the amount of pushback and not pushback trying to, he thought, help Sam uh, that Justin, that Eddie Palmer, that uh, Justin Timberlake does because it always ends on the side of right. Like, he tries to say, like, boys yeah. don't play with dolls. He's like, I do. And then over the um, Halloween costume, when they have the back and forth, he's like, they do have it for you. It's Peter Prince. And the kid's like, mm. And then the very next shot is he's getting the Princess Penelope. That's a nice way to do that. That's a good way. Instead of just sort of, like, having a big slap down and then a... Requiem, you know, a, a coming back and saying sorry. I thought it was nice. It kept things moving.
2: I was curious about Ryder Allen. I don't. I didn't do any reading, so I don't know if he is a child who has gender questions. I don't know the answer to that. But it was a very brave, heartfelt, simple performance, and I think he was spot on. I just, I was blown away by that kid. Yeah. And anytime you have a kid chasing a car screaming is that the scene you had trouble with tommy yeah i knew it <laughs> anytime you do that and we've seen that many times a child in in enough pain to chase a car screaming for the person and like oh i i'm instantly heartbroken
1: i thought he did great i thought the emotions through that scene were really uh, i i completely believed them but Frustratingly, my brain immediately went to, oh my God, they're letting this young kid run next to a car. What if they run over his toes? Like it's just like the worst. <laughs> like I know I I shouldn't be thinking about this while I'm watching this movie, but I'm like, this is like, what are they doing to protect this kid from this car? It's just uh my head. But I uh, you know, it's, he's a he's an adorable little uh little boy. He's I was looking at his Instagram page because that's like the one link that he has. Uh, connected to his uh, IMDb page because it's really his only film. This is really, I mean, he did a performance in a TV show, but otherwise it's all just him on Instagram and being a part of this movie. And, you know, I haven't dug mm. too deep to really get a sense of his uh, gender conformity or nonconformity, but he just seems like a normal kid. And that's what I love so much about him, regardless of whether he is, you know, what his kind of gender Conformity is in in real life. I just thought I bought him as a kid, a hundred percent, and he just he just played this role so well. And so to that end, I mean, this is a a film that really has this message about being who you are, and and kind of this sense of conformity, non conformity. I think that it's really honest in the way that it's portrayed. Does it come across? I mean, Tommy, back to your initial. <laughs> comment from the trailer does it come across as cloying the way the message is portrayed or did you end up buying it do you feel like people are going to connect with this message i believed it
3: and i thought it was honest and i thought it was really affecting and i think it comes it has a a purpose and a message to deliver and i think it delivers it really well i think it's very well acted extremely well shot and very sensitively directed it's very easy for this kind of movie to be the scene of the kid running after the car For two hours, if I'm maybe I'm giving too much credit to the director, but just to put it on that, he never lets it. He really holds back and holds back and holds back. And a lot of that is, yeah, very understated stuff and very grounded filmmaking. I was I was a fan.
2: Can I ask why you object to the kid chasing the car? I I don't know why I instantly knew that would be the scene that bugged you.
3: I was already getting so much from the understatedness and the little bouts of emotion that people were having and then that's it felt exploitative, I guess. I felt like my nose was being ground mm-hmm. in something finally. Potentially because that as I said when I went into this, I went in with my guard up a little bit and I did get affected because I'm not one to shy away from I'm not like boo you know, I'm not shying away from crying or anything. It just I don't know why I said boo. I'm trying to scare the movie. Um maybe I had it had opened me up in a way that I didn't know and I got uncomfortable for that. I'm not exactly sure. But that's when I felt like just for me the movie tipped over too much. And I didn't know
1: if we needed
2: that yeah i mean that movie that moment is a very lifetime sure movie moment so i understand
1: well and it's it's interesting because thinking about it i feel like the 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 moments within that scene that as i kind of play through to my head that i feel i really connected to emotionally were when he actually pushes away from his mom to to favor palmer and then really it was, it, it was actually not even the running shot, but it was after the running had happened and the, and he, he had disappeared into the darkness and it's just, Justin Timberlake's face uh, kind of in that off angle shot of him pulling a Michael Clay. Uh, yeah. Right. Looking yeah. out the car window, like those two moments are the ones that really I ended up connecting with more. It was, it was him being isolated and Sam pushing away from his mom. So it's it's interesting. It's interesting. I, you know, Something that I think it would be an interesting comparison, Tommy, because I, 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 there, there definitely is that big climactic lifetime sort of moment that we're having right there. And speaking to your point about the restraint of the film, I think that it's worth talking about the scene where Sam comes home from the tea party and he's very upset. The You know, the uh, his friend's mom who brought him home is like, I don't know what happened. I don't know. And we see that Sam's face is covered in makeup and we find out. That it was the adults, it was um you know palmer's two uh, older friends who had actually been involved in doing this. I think one of them it seemed
2: like it was just Daryl. am I crazy
1: or maybe it was just Daryl, but Cole like. But I thought he said, Cole, but you were home. You knew Cole is always just letting these
3: things happen. Right. Like his friend Daryl starts fights at the bar like this. And Cole's always just sort of like.
2: Eh, eh, eh. Cole literally stood back. Um, like you're in law enforcement and you're watching a fight and you're standing back. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I agree, Tommy, that he he might have seen it happening and been like, oh, that's a shame. Right. Didn't do anything <laughs> about anything. it.
1: Right. Which speaks to uh, possibly also just the way that his role was in the whole crime like Mm -hmm. he's now just this guy who steps back because Mm -hmm. I mean yeah he's a passive Mm -hmm. character which is interesting but to your point about the way that this film takes scenes like that as as understated I feel like in an actual lifetime movie we would have seen Daryl doing this to the kid and I feel like by not actually having seen that where Daryl is actually Mm -hmm. taking the kid and smearing all the makeup I I feel like it, it makes it a stronger film this way
3: very much so. And I like, well, and also though it would have, I might be wrong about this, but you know, the movie's called Palmer. Are we ever not with Palmer? Or is there a scene in the movie where we're not seeing his life or his POV? I don't think so. Even to the point of when he's being driven away from the kid again, the Michael Clayton, it's on him. Yeah. So a cutaway, unless I'm forgetting something. In the
2: trailer, we witness the violence in the trailer before he storms in. He's not there for that. Like we see him in the house, he hears the voices and then we go into the trailer with Mr. Mayhem and, and Juno when he,
3: when he makes him fly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But that's still within his earshot. That's still in Palmer's world. I guess it would have maybe felt like a break to go to just be with Ryder Allen in the side, just because I don't think we ever usually do. Um, but either way, regardless of that, yes, I wouldn't need to see both of those scenes. It was enough to have him run in and the shock of seeing the, that would have been, yes, I think that would have felt to use my, my own horrible, I don't know how to talk, but like rubbing my nose in it, it would have felt more exploitative. Maybe that's a good point. I didn't think about that.
1: Thinking about that. I do remember that we do start the classroom scenes several times with. Out having Palmer there, but I think every time I think every time we do though, it's when Palmer is about to come in. So I think that's an interesting uh, point that you made, though, how we really are pretty much a hundred percent in Palmer's scope of the story, even if he's coming into the scene a few minutes after it has started. Sure, that's interesting. I didn't even think about the fact that it's called Palmer and here we are. It's virtually always his perspective of things. Yeah,
2: yeah. One scene. They planted a seed, and then nothing happened, and that bothered me. Is as you, as we've alluded to, he is a violent felon, convicted violent felon, working at an elementary school. <laughs>
1: yeah,
2: which I. <laughs> Okay, when the principal says, I love a second chance. Okay, fine. But when he threatens... It's Justin (laughs)
3: Timberlake.
2: (laughs) When he threatens Toby. (laughs) Oh,
3: I really thought that was going to come back and bite him. (sighs) Yes, I forgot about that. Toby goes
2: home and says, the janitor grabbed me and told me he would break my arm if I ever you yeah. know said anything mean to sam again
3: and his father's like get the makeup
2: it was like <laughs> how did that not have repercussions yeah right that felt really right. tone deaf to me i just thought you know if if he had not physically touched toby if he had just bent down and been like you shouldn't be mean okay but he says i'll break your arm yeah. as he's holding a child yeah right it was, right
1: right, <laughs> yes, right. that's
3: Yeah, no, that really felt like a setup for something that never happened.
2: Yeah, I really thought, oh, this is it. This is now the police are going to come question him. He's going to have violated his parole. This is going to set everything in motion. And nope,
1: it didn't. And that's interesting because there are those moments that do feel so stereotypically lifetime in this like that, where you're expecting that to happen. A couple other things that were just like, oh, we have to have this character, you know, Vivian's old friend, who's the busybody, who has to call CPS. It's like, we've got to have that character in here. And then I was just so irritated that Cole's dad, of course, just is constantly just the stereotype. Like, I'm not going to trust you. I knew they let you out too soon. Like all that stuff. I'm like, Oh Mm -hmm. God, really? Oh, the
3: sheriff, he was ridiculous. Well, and that, that was also the, when he's putting him in, he's putting him in handcuffs and just like, they never should have let you out was also ADR. Mm. There was a lot of ADR in this movie that was all completely unnecessary. This movie's a little afraid of silence. If there's one thing that isn't grounded or isn't sort of naturalistic is there's a lot of people talking when we're not seeing them talk uh, more. It's done really well. It doesn't have that ADR feel of like, clearly this was done later. But you just know they were it's like Stevens got a little nervous that certain things weren't hammered home.
2: Very astute observation, Mr. Metz.
3: Oh, thank you. I'm a big ADR watcher. That's <laughs> a dumb thing to say, but like, I'm very attuned to that. That was one of the things just to, to bring it back to us for a second. Like I was incessantly, I never wanted to do that for 30 nights. We had to do that once or twice to like cover stuff up, but I never wanted it to be the movie where someone turns their back and all of a sudden says,
1: well, here we are on night 29. <laughs> I really wanted
3: to make sure that that never, cause it just drives me insane.
1: Yeah, that's, that's actually a really interesting point about the ADR because I, you know, I think about ADR and I never think about it in terms of this usage. The way I always think about it is like you're reading the actor's lips, but there happens to be like an airfield next door and that you have the constant sound of airplanes. So they have to come in and, and loop their lines in cleanly. That's my sense of it. But I always take for granted that they also do this sort of stuff with ADR and add these unnecessary lines in just to quote make the story more clear
3: yeah there's a there's a number of like what would be b-roll of like them just sitting down at a table or getting ready for something and then they've added in lines for two people and it's it's too much lines there's you just wouldn't do it like that you would show you would have to show an actor talking it's just a decision that was made later so
2: did some focus group say i don't get why the sheriff is arresting him Or, you know, it's like, what makes a filmmaker say, before we see their mouths, let's add three lines of...
3: Yes, usually it is 100% that, Mm -hmm. but these didn't make any sense. That's why I said, I wonder if he was just afraid of silence. There are some other movies where they just like, it's like they can't stand the silence. And so they're not even really helping doing anything, but it's a lot of what? Oh, no. Uh, Uh, Mm -hmm. uh." You know, it's like, because they can, they think they should. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. And maybe they have like an overzealous sound designer being like, you know, if you want, we can put this in here and put this in here. And they're like, yay. Um, I'm not easy. But here, almost none of them were needed at all. I was so I'm not sure.
2: blissfully unaware of it.
1: Very frustrating. I mean, that's an interesting point, though, because Fisher Stevens, I mean, he's directed stuff before. But I mean, isn't he mostly documentaries? I mean, he's well, he's mostly an actor. I mean, that's largely what he's done but uh, when it comes to directing he's uh, i mean he's directed 6 documentaries he's uh, only directed this is his fourth film that he's directed one of which was just like a segment within a film and uh he's done a little tv stuff and i think like he's produced i think more than anything he's produced documentaries like i think was oh. it the the cove that uh that like exposé documentary about activists uh tracking the oh, right. I something never, about I the
3: see that because, because it was animals in peril
1: yeah, that's exactly what it is. Yeah, dolphins uh, off the coast of Japan. And I can't remember what it is. Like, are they being caught for tuna? Can- I can't remember the movie, but I remember that he won an Oscar for um, for that, for producing that particular documentary. And so I guess that's where my head is with him. Like you said, documentaries, but mostly acting. And watching him direct this, I mean, I I'm, I appreciate the honesty with which he's kind of directing the characters. I think some of that comes from the writing but also just the way that he kind of cleanly does it but then I feel like there are these moments that I'm like yeah, like you were saying like I'm I'm not sure he was trusting himself with the way the story is being told mm-hmm. which is uh, you know it's frustrating um but I'm also not seeing anything in this that says ooh this is a Fisher Stevens film like there's nothing that you know I could say that stands out as oh this is this is ownership of him saying this is my movie it it does feel to that end very kind of straightforward
3: in a way that I appreciate though, because it helped for me, it helped the, the filmmaking style, the cinematography really helped ground it. The kind of the choice to have that, the kind of slightly moving camera, like it's handheld, but not overly done. He just has a couple like lockdown shots and a couple, like when Justin Timberlake jumps into the trailer It's really coolly filmed, like, from the side and below. So when you see both of his arms, it becomes doubly powerful. There's some neat—I like that he—I personally like that he didn't put himself out there as a director saying, look, this movie is being directed because in certain scenes when he did reach a little higher, it really elevated those scenes for me.
2: I thought he stayed out of the way of it in a great way.
3: That's a— Better way? Can you? Uh,
2: so I said that ADR. Yeah,
3: will do, some,
1: we'll do yeah. some ADR.
2: I'll I'll lip sync it. Yeah, here I'll I'll around and just... uh, Yeah, he let the story unfold, and it's interesting you, that you said he's afraid of silence. I I felt the opposite. At the first 15 20 minutes were very quiet. Yeah,
1: and just oh, yeah. watching
2: yeah, yeah. this man reacclimate to life and i think that's bold as a director to let there be that much silence and Mm -hmm. slow moving action so i i thought he did a fine job
3: yeah traditionally you're supposed to have some mainly this exists in horror but usually in movie you have to have some big punch in the beginning that buys you silence So the fact that he's just on the bus instead of starting it in prison. Mm-hmm. Yeah. of like, Hey, inmate Magoo, get out of <laughs> here. Here's your stuff. Because that's a little bit of like prisons are distressing. And so then you can calm down into the movie. Instead. He's like, let's go on a bus ride in real time
1: <laughs> with great, with great music yeah. playing too. I have to say, I just loved the score yeah. through this throughout this, the score the music choices. I, I thought it all really helped convey kind of the emotional, uh, just tone of everything.
3: Yes. Oh, and you just if I can say real quick, what I also liked when I keep saying honest and grounded, you know what this movie also could have been? Hillbilly Elegy.
1: Great point. But it
3: wasn't. We weren't he wasn't walking and just like everybody has a car, a broken down car in their front lawn. Like there's a certain amount of authenticness. Yes, there's a lot of ashtrays overflowing. Yes, there's stuff, but it felt real. We weren't it wasn't just sort of shoving poverty Or poverty porn or trashiness at us all the time. And they could have. That would have been one way to convey it. But instead, it felt like a real town.
2: Well, since you brought up ashtrays, I have to say seeing Justin Timberlake smoke was very jarring as a singer. Hmm. And he's such a great singer. And... It harkened me back to when I was a teenager and my mom caught me, caught that I had cigarettes. And most parents would say to their teenage daughter, You're going to get cancer. This is terrible. And my mom was so smart and she was like, You're going to ruin your voice. Mm, and you're a singer. Uh, and it was so a like, singer, right? <laughs> Oh, she's right. Like, well, how can a singer? I'm a singer. I can't smoke. And watching him smoke quite a bit in this movie, yeah, I was like, yeah. Oh yeah. my God, he's smoking. <laughs> it made me very nervous. <laughs>
3: Mandy, as an actress, have you ever smoked the Hollywood cigarettes, like the herbal cigarettes that they smoke on films? Because you're not allowed to smoke in real cigarettes?
2: I've done it in a play.
3: I've heard they're awful. Are they?
2: This was, I don't know what this was. This was like sage and something else. Because I think we were supposed to be smoking marijuana. So it smelled audacious. It It smelled like marijuana more. Wow. Um, But I'll smoke anything. I don't care. (laughs) Perfect. So those aren't real cigarettes he's smoking?
3: You're not allowed to by law. You're not allowed to because of secondhand smoke. Anytime you see characters, not since the beginning of time, but since like the 30s or something, it's always it's this really rough smelling, not good tasting cigarette that is just not bad for you. Like there's a certain amount of bad because of if there's still carcinogens or combustion involved, but it's not there's no nicotine. There's no tar. There's none of that. And you can tell that it's happening because it smells terrible.
1: I would imagine that it was a little after the 30s. I would think it was probably like the 80s or something when when policy started shifting. Oh, I would imagine like those 60s and 70s. Yeah.
3: Oh, that's true. I guess in the 30s, we still had children working in mines. <laughs> I'm sure they weren't like, herbal cigarettes, please.
1: <laughs> and doctors were still smoking while they delivered children. So
3: <laughs> Right. Oh, yeah. What am I thinking? Everyone was wearing barrels. <laughs> Do I forget what the 30s is? <laughs> okay, got it.
1: Well, you know, I mean, just circling back to kind of the whole Tone of this film. I mean, I think that it's a really good film with a good message. And I think, I think I like what you were saying, Mandy, about it, you know, Fisher Stevens just stepping back and allowing the story to do what it needed to do. I think there are a few times he might have gotten in a little too much, but I think on the whole, I think it works. And I, I find it an emotionally affecting film, even if I do find it a little bit lifetime ish. And I think it does come across that way. But I guess, you know, for a last point here, is is and I think you mentioned this earlier, Tommy, by making this film that does maybe just seem a little more straightforward, generic. Is that helpful when we're trying to tell a story about this uh, this young boy who is this uh, non gender non conforming conformity? Do you feel like it's going to help draw in a bigger audience who actually might be more affected by this message?
3: To Mandy's earlier point, was sort of paraphrasing with Mandy's saying I wanted it to go more into that. And I don't need I don't personally need this conventionality in order to draw me into that story. But I'm me and Mandy and I live in California, Southern California. We are not necessarily representative of the majority or a sizable amount of the country. And so, yeah, uh, if I, I wrongly said sugar to help the medicine go down. But I think if there's enough connect the dots of a story that you're comfortable with i think maybe that would help ease you into this world that might seem kind of alienating to a lot of people but is a is a a world that is desperately important uh to have more uh outreach and visibility in the culture
2: i don't know that uh closed-minded people are going to see this movie but if they do because they're fans of justin timberlake or something i I think could be a nice way to ease them into opening their minds to people who have gender questions.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I I, I do, too, I guess, in the long and the short of it. I do think that this film is helpful. I think it's a it is a positive story. I really do wish that they had found a way to make it you know so a whole family could watch it so that it wasn't quite so yeah. hey look at this very much so you know raw sex scene right out of the gate uh before we have the the family story it just it it made it a little more tough agreed yeah well we love letterboxed in fact for any uh anyone who's listening to the show I, you know Letterboxd uh, has offered a discount to, uh, to any uh, Next Reel members. If you would like to upgrade to their pro or patron plans, you can head over to the slash Letterboxd, and you can upgrade with a 20% discount, which is fantastic. So with that, though, let's all rank the film out of five stars. And then, of course, the uh, the Letterboxd heart. Where do you all stand with this film?
2: So, yeah, I would give it 3.5 stars with a heart.
1: 3.5 and a heart. All right.
2: I liked it. I really did. And calling it a Lifetime movie just helps people understand the formula it follows. It's not necessarily a knock on it. I don't mean to be flippant about it. It was like a really well done Lifetime movie.
1: I, I, I would agree with that. I mean, I think that there are Lifetime movies that uh, it, it is a formula. And uh, I think anybody who really watches a number of those, you really get a sense of that kind of formula. And I, I think that they do that well. Tommy, what's your what, what would you rank it?
3: Uh, I agree with Mandy. 3.5. I'd be, I'd be... Can we do yeah. half a half? Oh,
1: no, I'll just do 3.5. <laughs>
3: but it would be like 3.75 and a like is what I would normally do. But yeah, 3.5 and a like. And a very strong like. And I would watch this movie again. That's great. There are certain scenes that I thought were so well filmed. I, wouldn't, I don't know if I'd watch the entire movie again, but I want to see, see certain sequences and how he did it
1: what what's like what's an example of one of those that stood out
3: again the lead up the big um justin timberlake goes in and makes jerry fly across the trailer
1: mm, it was okay. a
3: very it's a smarter camera placement than i think it needed and i like to see how he did it because it really ramps up it's so cathartic yeah and it's so something you've been waiting for and that's a diff, that's a a bunch of it's just a really well done sequence i think so i'd like to see it again
1: Um, I think I'm at three stars, but I'm still going to give it a heart. I really enjoy the performances. I just, I felt that just the relationship watching that relationship between uh, Palmer and Sam is really what made this film work for me. I just, I really found that to be incredibly affecting. So uh, three stars and a heart for me. And that uh, puts us at an average of uh, three and a third. So I think that's uh, a pretty good place for this film. You know, I, I, John, January used to be kind of the doldrums of films it used to be kind of the dumping ground and and who knows what January is anymore these days but I found you know what this actually was a a, a solid film I, I would have enjoyed seeing it in the theaters I still enjoyed watching it at home it was it was a solid emotional story um, so I'm glad we got a chance to talk about it to you too Yes, very much so. Thank you. Well, for February, we have an exciting pair of films that we're going to be discussing. We're going to be talking about Judas and the Black Messiah, which releases February 12th in theaters and HBO Max. And Nomadland, which releases February 19th on Hulu.
3: And I'm going to be
1: on the Nomadland one. Spoiler alert. (laughs) Which will be great. I, I look forward to talking with you on that one. And then we're going to do our February member bonus film board episode. It's going to be breaking news in Yuba County. And
2: I'm going to be on that one.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, everybody, don't forget to join our online community with fellow movie lovers. You can learn more at thenextreel.com slash discord. And if you're interested in supporting us to help keep the lights on and get some great benefits while you're at it, head to thenextreel.com slash membership. Thank you both for joining me to talk about Palmer uh, today. It was a wonderful conversation, Tommy and Mandy. Did I win? Mandy, you always win. You are always the winner here. Bless your heart. Uh, Thanks, everybody, for joining us in the meeting room. For a part of the film board, everybody. Here at the next reel, when the movie ends, our conversation begins.
0: supposedly so much better than the movie. We've also explored Stephen King epics like The Dark Tower and It, biopics like Damien Chazelle's First Man,
1: and sweeping sagas like Denis Villeneuve's take on Frank Herbert's Dune.
0: And don't forget Martin Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon, based on David Grant's nonfiction book about the 1920s murders of the Osage Nation. I just finished the book, and it's fantastic.
1: It's always fascinating to look at the source material, and we often do as the book lovers we are. For those of you out there who love to do the same, head to thenextreel.com slash originals to find all of our past episodes and dive deeper into these adapted stories.
0: And it's not just stories. We've included things like the video games Uncharted and Detective Pikachu.
1: That's right. thenextreel.com slash originals is your one-stop shop for in-depth looks at the sources for cinematic adaptations that we have discussed. Every purchase you make supports the film board and the Next Reel's family of shows.
0: So what are you waiting for? Head to the nextreel.com/originals and get your next read today.